Welcome everyone to the Ignite.Church Answers podcast. I want to thank you for checking us out or continuing to check us out. If this is the first episode you're listening to, please remember to, to go back and check out our previous four episodes. They're all uh, really worth listening to, really great content on um, topics that are just going deeper and deeper um, into topics that go beyond a Sunday morning sermon, which is exactly what this podcast is for. The Ignite.Church Answers podcast is a podcast for deeper discussions that go beyond a Sunday morning service. Our guest for this episode is one that uh, I'm just kind of getting to know a little bit here even. Um, he's starting a new uh, position, not a new position, but his new position in the church. Um, it's our executive pastor at Ignite Church, Wyatt Brandt. Wyatt, welcome. Thank you. I'm, All I'm right. excited to be here. Awesome. Uh, my name is Craig Cusick, and again, I'm going to be helping just guide all these conversations through each of our episodes. At the top of each of the episodes, I do like to get to know our host a little bit better on a uh, non-maybe church-related basis, so I'm going to start off with a few icebreaker questions, if you're okay with that. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, so, first one is, if you were not living in the Fargo-Moorhead area, where do you think you would be setting up camp? Uh, I would for sure be uh, like the the northwest, uh, northwest Washington, Oregon, uh, even okay. maybe parts of Idaho. Sure, I think the weather. I actually uh, I don't love the sun. I, a very okay. unpopular opinion. Yeah. Um, so like when when it, when the sun is shining, uh, people are always like, "Oh, this weather is so perfect," and <laughs> I disagree i would much prefer overcast <laughs> some rain clouds yeah. and i know that that's pretty common there so yeah for yeah, sure i would and then yeah mountains hiking um i'd love to i would love to get more into that stuff but yeah. living in fargo north dakota i can't <laughs> <laughs> sure yeah hey uh i am actually right there with you i haven't visited the northwest before but i would i'm sure it's a place i would love yeah I'm with you on that unpopular opinion about the overcast and the oh. rain. I love it. I love weather. I love when things happen in weather. When we lived in Vegas, it was 300 days of sunshine and no clouds. It was. It got annoying. Yeah. So anytime there was a cloud, we would say, oh my gosh, look, a cloud in the sky. Great. So yeah, I'm right there with you. And another unpopular opinion that I'm a part of is that I really like winter and Ugh. I'm good with the cold when the first frost hits and my allergies are no longer a problem. I'm good with that. Okay, <laughs> I'm a I'm a fan of that short season. Okay, but as soon as the snow starts falling, I'm oh I'm, no. I'm sad. Oh no, okay, okay. So you like the really temperate, you know, right now, right? Like, yeah, this like kind like of fall. Weather, sure. Yeah, gotcha. Um, another question, uh, second one here. If you were not in ministry, what career path do you think you would have gone down instead? Well, uh, I just recently started in ministry uh, about two months ago so sure so it is um, new yeah yeah for the and, and for the last uh f five years i've been working at sanford health um uh, the healthcare system in mm -hmm. the area and uh been working as a exercise physiologist in cardiac rehab um and so ever since uh like kind of middle school high school age i've been uh, got really interested in exercise, uh, wellness, and nutrition, and uh, yeah. so went to school for exercise science on my bachelor's degree, and I've uh, been working in cardiac rehab ever since, and yeah, uh, I'd probably be in, in that field. Not necessarily healthcare, though. Okay. Uh, maybe something to do with fitness. Okay, sure. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, 
Great. Well, that's getting to know Wyatt a little bit better. Love that. Love that. Um, so as we're going to dive into our main questions here today, I wanted to let everyone know what the topic is this week. Um, the topic this week is going to be on communion and Passover, which actually times out pretty well, actually, if you are an attender at Ignite Church. Um, we did just have uh, the sermon uh, that was actually right before um, you know communion and the first communion and Passover uh, where um, Jesus was betrayed by Judah. So that was a good kind of leading up point to this podcast and kind of coming into next week, what we're going to talk about at Ignite Church, I'm assuming. <laughs> I don't know all the it's, sermons ahead of time. but I yeah. affirmed with Chase today. Sure, okay, great. In, little inside scoop for yeah. people, um, even though this episode will probably get released after that sermon. Well, yeah. But it times out really, really well if yeah. you are a, uh, an attender at Ignite Church. So um, first question to get us started here today is... Um, if you can just start by giving us kind of a quick overview of communion in general, um, you know, when it started, which now we kind of know when it started, um, but then also kind of why it's not necessarily why it started, but why it's been continuing for these 2000 odd plus years. Yeah. So uh, communion uh, is, it's often also called the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. Um, the Eucharist uh, maybe isn't as common of a, a name for, for us Protestant Christians, um, mm. but it actually, it's from the Greek word for Thanksgiving. Okay. And so uh, it, it is a biblical usage, or it is a biblical term um, that is appropriate for uh, communion, Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup. Um, all three names are, are biblical and, and really are referring to the same thing. And so I use them interchangeably. I, I don't okay. typically use the word Eucharist. Um, <laughs> Not too common. <laughs> yeah, but um, I prefer uh, Lord's Supper or the meal, mm -hmm. um, but you really I'll use them interchangeably. Yeah. Um, and so communion uh, is an act of obedience to Jesus where the gathered church communes with Christ and each other and commemorates Christ's death by eating a symbolic meal of bread and wine. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, one way to, to think about it is uh, we're thinking about the, the ordinances of Jesus, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Yeah. And so where baptism is observed once by each person as a, a sign of their entering into union with Christ and the church, the Lord's Supper is observed repeatedly throughout our Christian lives as a sign of continuing in fellowship with Christ and his church. Mm -hmm. And we do it repeatedly. Yeah. Um, so to answer the question about when it started, like you said, uh, we're learning that and mm -hmm, going right. through Matthew right now as a church. Uh, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night that he was betrayed by Judas. Um, and on that night, he shared a Passover meal with his disciples. Mm -hmm. um, so he, it didn't just come out of thin air. It wasn't like mm -hmm. Jesus was just celebrating a regular meal and it was just bread and wine, because what kind of meal is that? <laughs> um, and it's at this Passover meal, the celebration, that he instituted the Lord's Supper. Um, and that's significant, because understanding the Passover affects how we understand the Lord's Supper. Sure. Um, so kind of diving more into, um, you know, what is the Passover, you know, because for me, I've actually, I mean, this is kind of confession time for me, but being a semi-new believer, six-year-old believer kind of, um, I never connected the dots that the communion or the Last Supper was also during the time of Passover and like all of that was just happening all at once mm -hmm. at one location, all at one time. I never necessarily 
connected the dots in my head like that until kind of last Sunday learning like, oh, this is the last supper. This is Passover. This is communion. You know, this is all the same thing happening all here at once, which is why this moment is so important. So, you know, for maybe listeners kind of like me who aren't necessarily 100% familiar with what Passover is um, and why that was such an important time to do what Jesus did at that moment at that supper, do you want to kind of go into what Passover is and why, you know, it's so significant in that in that nature? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad we get to talk about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so the Passover was an annual holiday uh, when the Jewish people would remember and celebrate their delivery from slavery in Egypt. Okay. Um, and so you can find the Passover story in, in the book of Exodus. Uh, really, uh, it's mostly in chapter 12, but I would read chapter 11 through 13 to get a really good uh, overview of that story. Sure. Um, but I will just give you a, a brief summary. So uh, back in back in Exodus, the, the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so God sent uh, 10 plagues to judge Egypt and their leader, Pharaoh. And the 10th plague was that every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, both humans and animals, including Pharaoh's own son. Um, but God provided deliverance for the people of Israel. He told them, if you take a lamb, a mature one-year-old without blemish, and on the 14th day of the month, the night the firstborns were to be killed, you kill that lamb and then take its blood and apply it to your doorposts. And then when the angel of death sees the blood, he will pass over you. Okay. So name drop, pass over. Pass over, yeah. pass over you. Yep. Um, and so the Israelites did that, uh, and they were spared. Their firstborns were saved. Mm. Um, and God delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Yeah. Um, if you know the Exodus story, you know that right after that 10th plague and that right after Passover, they quickly left. And, um, you know, we get the story of uh, parting the Red Sea and, and entering yeah. into the wilderness. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, God delivered them from slavery. Um, and then we're told four separate times that they should observe the Passover as a memorial. Uh, so oh. it, it's an occasion to remember in detail how the Lord delivered them from bondage in Egypt. They were supposed to do it regularly. So they did it every year. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus himself observed Passover, like we're learning in Matthew. And uh, Jewish people to this day still observe the Passover. As a specific um, date on the calendar every yes. single year? Oh, yep. okay. Yep. Um, and the, uh, yeah, it's it's been celebrated for over 3,000 years. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> I, I actually, I heard that it's like the oldest celebrated holiday ever. <laughs> yeah. That, like if you think about it, like yeah. think about how long ago that is. Right. And I mean, Christmas is technically only 2,000 right. you know, yes. years old. So 3,000, that's crazy. Yeah, and over 3,000. <laughs> I don't know yeah. the exact right. amount of years. Um, and so... To celebrate Passover, uh, this isn't like any other of our holidays. Like, it's not just a time for family just to to get together and eat any meal. Like, mm. I know uh, my Christmas uh, meal with our family is usually surf and turf. Like, oh, really? we have nice. we have steak and lobster, <laughs> steak, like prime rib and shrimp or something like that. Great. And really, like, we have our traditions, mm-hmm. but they're not 
we don't have the same traditions as every other family. Right. And that, that's different for this type of a holiday. This is a memorial um, where the meal really matters. And so what they would do is they would share a meal. And this was a very symbolic meal. Um, so they would sit around a table and, and often they would have uh, like a young one in the family ask a question, ask like uh, a common one was, why, why is this night special compared to any other night? And uh-huh. like it was like a script. Okay. Um, and then uh, someone, usually like the leader of the household, maybe the father, would retell the story of, of Exodus and then they would use food to evoke the senses. And so the food had meaning. Um, so at a minimum, uh, it would include wine, um, actually usually four cups of wine, okay. um, unleavened bread, uh, bitter herb, which was usually horseradish, huh. a lamb. Um, and then there, through the years, there have been other elements uh, that I think more have been added and taken away. Um, but those are the ones that are kind of essential. These are the ones that are commanded uh, mm-hmm. in the Old Testament by God. Okay. Um, so the leader in the household would read part of the story and then tell everyone to take and eat a particular element that relates to that part of the story. Okay. It's an interactive meal. And yeah. so like that should remind you of how we practice communion. Right. Um, we say, we explain part of the meal mm-hmm. and then we say, take and eat. Yep. All um, together, this particular element. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then yeah, you're like, you're, you're participating in mm-hmm. the story. So what Jesus did at the Last Supper um, is he changed the meaning of the elements. So the bread now is in reference to the body of Christ broken for you. And the wine now is in reference to the blood of Christ poured out on the cross. And we, as New Testament Christians, we remember and celebrate our deliverance from slavery. Um, but unlike the Israelites, our, um, ours isn't from Egyptian slavery, but slavery of sin. Yeah. And similar to the Passover, an, unblem- an unblemished lamb died a substitutionary death in our place. Yeah. And that's Jesus. He's our, he's our Passover lamb. Right. Um, so, so just like Passover, the Lord's Supper is a meal of remembrance and celebration of our deliverance from slavery through sacrifice. Yeah, wow. That's <laughs> I'm still kind of taking all that in, just kind of learning all that, all those kind of just minute details of that story. That's like just so incredible. You know, another, you know, another thing to be thankful for for Jesus for, obviously, and just thankful that we don't have to sacrifice lambs on the stage every Sunday morning. You know, absolutely, it's right? great. Oh, yeah, so praise Jesus the, for that. The Lamb of God who yeah. was slain to wash away sin's stain yeah. for eternity. Love it. Um, so now that we kind of know the backstory of communion and Passover and all that, and that's awesome, I want to start to kind of relate that to our church, Ignite Church, um, and, and that we take um, part in communion once a month while, you know, there might be other Christian denominations or churches, um, Lutheran, Catholic, you know, what have you, um, that maybe take it every single week. Um, and so I was just kind of wondering, <clears throat> having been to a, a lot of these different services, you know, is one the correct way? Is one the lazy way? Is one the way that a church just does it logistically to save some money in the budget to not have to do it every week? You know, you know is so basically kind of is there a mention in scripture of how frequently 
we should be taking communion or is there necessarily not a right or wrong way to, to participate as long as you do it, you know, on a regular basis? Yeah. My short answer is no. <clears throat> okay. Um, I don't think one is more correct than the other. Yeah. You know, I have maybe my preferences. I think a lot of people will have their own preferences on right. this topic. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is no clear instruction in the New Testament about how often we should take communion. Um, we are just given instructions on how to do it, and it's implied that it's an ongoing practice. And so there is some kind of an implication that it's going to be regular. And mm -hmm. so for, for a lot of people, that just means regular weekly. Um, for Ignite Church, it's regular monthly. Yeah. Um, and then... Uh, for you know, for some they'll take it, it once a year. I think uh, I don't know if I do anything regularly once a year, um, <laughs> but that really I'm putting my own opinion in right, that. Sure. Um, and so, uh, just a little uh, little history lesson. Um, it's believed that the early church uh, probably practiced communion weekly. Really? Okay. Um, the, the, the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages practiced it a lot less often. And so oh. that's a big contrast to how the Catholic Church practices right. it. Right, yeah, that today. surprises me for sure. Um, today it's, it's weekly, and it's very important to them that it's weekly. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the Middle Ages, yeah, they were kind of figuring out their sacrificial or sacramental system. Okay. Um, and yeah, for a while they only did it once a year. Wow. Um, some of the key reformers in the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther and John Calvin, um, they preferred once a week, um, and I think John Calvin, because of, I remember if it was like city, uh, it was it maybe like the city or the region he was living in, like wouldn't allow it, and so I think he did it once a month um, at his church, but he wanted it to be once a week. Okay. And then Holdrich Zwingli uh, practiced, another uh, key reformer, uh -huh. uh, practiced it less often. Okay. Um, I don't know how often, but not weekly. Um and today, uh, common practice is weekly or monthly. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't see any biblical reason why either would be wrong. Yeah. Uh, at Ignite Church, we practice communion monthly, which seems to work well for us. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah, it's always kind of, sometimes it's like a, a nice surprise and you remember like, oh yeah, it is, it's the last Sunday of the month. We do communion today. Great. You yeah. know, it's some, um, you know, walking in, you almost like forget about it and then it's like a, a nice surprise. Um, and, Whereas, and, you know, some people love it every month, but maybe sometimes it gets a, a little monotonous. It's just another checklist item in the service, but I, I like how right. we do it. And, and I want to say that is actually one of the reasons why some uh, churches will do it less often, mm -hmm. like, like monthly, yeah. um, and, and refrain from doing it weekly because they believe that if we do it weekly, it will become like a ritual for us and sure. it'll like lose its meaning. It won't be as special. Uh -huh. I don't buy that. <laughs> yeah. It, I don't think that again, that's a not... really, yeah, good reason for it. Sure. Um, but yeah. So me personally, I'm open to like the weekly or yeah. the monthly. Yeah. Yeah. Short answer, no right or wrong. Just yes. as long as we do it. <laughs> so, um, so why does Jesus use the communion pieces to represent his body and his blood in, in the significance of the meal? Yeah, so uh, we were talking about the, the Passover meal. The, the bread and the wine were already elements of the, the Passover meal. Okay. Um, but Jesus fulfilled and changed their meaning. Yeah. And so the, the bread typically represented the unleavened bread that the Israelites took with them when they fled Egypt. 
So like I said, they they had to leave very quickly yeah. for their deliverance for when they were when they were fleeing Egypt. Mm-hmm. And so they were they had they, like they didn't have time for their yeah. bread to rise. Sure. And so they had unleavened bread. Um, and so uh, yeah, so there's a connection between the bread and that unleavened bread that they were that they had um, when they were fleeing. Um, but then there can also be a connection between the bread and the manna that the Israelites received from God in the wilderness. Okay. Um, and so that ma- the manna in the wilderness is often associated with um, provision and sustenance. And so there's an element of that provision and sustenance in the bread when we take communion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in in Matthew twenty six twenty six. Uh, so Matthew twenty six is the kind. Of, that's where we're at as a church yeah, at right, exactly. right now. Um, this is where uh, Jesus instituted uh, communion. Um, and uh, one short little piece of that is uh, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, take and eat, this is my body. Um, and so the bread and this is my body it was, is, uh, it's debated about right. what that really means. How, how literal to take it. Yes, yep. And that is uh, just historically has been a long, long debate. Uh-huh. Um, and so uh, some interpret this is my body literally. And so uh, the Roman Catholic Church's official teaching on this is called transubstantiation, long, okay. term, long word. Yeah. Um, but... All it means is to change in substance. So trans means change, substantiation in substance. So change in substance. Mm-hmm. Um, they believe that when taking communion, the bread and the wine actually change into the body and blood of Jesus when it's blessed. Okay. And so you 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 eat the flesh of, yeah. of Jesus. Um, and that it changes in substance, um, but that it actually it, it tastes and feels and smells and it love bread and wine but that mm-hmm. like the 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 essence or like what it actually is yeah. is the the flesh yeah. is the body of Christ. Uh, so that's the Roman Catholic Church. Um, Martin Luther he argued against that. He argued for he also argued for a literal interpretation. Uh, uh-huh. But he okay. was he was against transubstantiation, uh-huh. and okay. so um, he came up with a position that we now call consubstantiation, okay. um, or consubstantiation. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't know. Um, yeah, sure, different pronunciations. Yeah, same thing. And uh, this is a, a, a position that uh, Lutherans uh, do not typically uh, like to be called, or like they don't want they don't like the term. Um, okay. Because they don't think it accurately portrays what they actually believe on it. Um, they prefer uh, the term sacramental union. Okay. Um, but really, consubstantiation, cone means with. Mm. And so, not that the bread changes into the body of Christ, but they believe that the body is un- uh, united, uni- with, united with. Yes. Okay. Yep. With. Yeah. Um, so Christ's bodily presence is, and this is a, a quote from them, with, in, and under the substance of the bread and wine. Okay. So I think both of those positions uh, fail to recognize that 
Jesus liked to speak figuratively. Uh-huh. Um, so when Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches, he wasn't claiming to literally be a plant. Right. Yeah. Or there's another time he says, I am the door. Um, and so when, when Jesus says, this is my body, he isn't saying it literally, but figuratively. Mm-hmm. Really what he was saying is that the bread represents his body. Sure. And so he, he broke the bread, signifying that his body would be broken mm-hmm. in death. Um, and that that non-literal uh, figurative interpretation, um, if we're you know thinking about the Reformation and the the famous reformers and what do yeah. they think of that, um, we're thinking more of uh, Aldrich Zwingli and John Calvin. Yeah. They were more in that camp. While they disagreed on some aspects, um, they mostly believed in the memorial view of okay. the the Lord's Supper. Um, and then going to the the wine, Jesus also said that. Uh, the wine is my covenant, or is my blood of the covenant. Um, So God promised to the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah that he would establish a new covenant with his people and write his law on their hearts and minds. Okay. He also promised the final forgiveness of sins. And so what Jesus was saying was that uh, the pouring out of his blood on the cross was the fulfillment of that promise. Okay, yeah. So it's because of the blood of Jesus that our sins are forgiving. And he was making that connection while instituting the Lord's Supper before okay. he died. Yeah. Um, so the, the bread and the cup are not literally the body and blood okay, of Jesus, sure, yeah. but they are symbols that point us to those incredible mm-hmm. realities. And and it's good that we kind of went into, into depth instead of just kind of glossing over those topics because... To me, you know, in my head and what I was maybe kind of really trying to ask there was, you know, why wasn't it the turkey leg and the orange <laughs> juice? You know what I mean? Why, why bread and yeah. wine? And so for you to go into, into um, you know, real depth on the significance of each of the pieces, that really helps, you know, lay even further, you know, groundwork and foundation for why it's so important. Mm-hmm. So especially the unleavened bread, I love the connection between... Right? Being delivered from well, slavery, getting out so quickly, unleavened, it's the bread, it's, and both of those elements are already um, common pieces at a, at a Passover feast, yeah, and, and for those reasons. <laughs> and another thing is, uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard, actually, I mean, I used to complain, or, you know, to myself, I don't know if I said this out, out, out loud, but, like, if we're supposed to have bread and wine at communion, like, why are we served these little wafers? You know, they're like, they're, they don't taste good. There's just these little unleavened right. <laughs> bread. Yeah. Where's our Olive Garden breadsticks? Yeah, you know, right. right. <laughs> like, like uh, the church that I grew up in, we we had like a, a raised loaf, uh, just a regular, like somebody would uh-huh. make, homemade, make it homemade and we would like tear off a piece. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of missed that when I came to Ignite. Yeah. Like, but we, you know, we have these wafers, and and they're flat. And, <laughs> yep. And after after studying and after after learning about the Passover and mm. the fact that they had unleavened bread, I think it's very appropriate. Yeah, for that, sure. That at least, like, if it's not these little wafers, at least some kind of a, a cracker or like a uh-huh. something that is flat. Yeah. And unleavened. Right. Yeah, bread. exactly. Yeah, deeper connections. I love that. Um, so. Before this, you know, before we're recording here, you and I have kind of gone uh, back and forth a little bit. And you mentioned the term to me, fencing the table. 
Um, and so I was wondering if you could maybe explain to me and maybe people listening, I've never necessarily heard that term um, before, but you kind of mentioned it. So while we're practicing the meal, we're fencing the table. So if you could maybe explain that term um, a little bit, and I don't know, we can kind of go in depth onto it a little bit here, but um, could you explain maybe what that means? Yeah, so, so fencing the table is basically the pastor's responsibility to tell everyone present who can and cannot participate. Okay. Um, and so we kind of get a, a layout of the ground rules. Essentially, we're putting up a fence. Like, yeah, sure. Like some of you can participate and some of you can't, and laying out who that is, saying like, if this is true, you cannot participate. If this is true, you can participate. Okay. And so um, this is going to be be different from church to church. There's a broad yeah. spectrum of... Um, on one end, they call it a closed communion, where, um, so on one end is closed communion, the other end is open communion. Yeah. And closed communion uh, is, is basically where you need to be a baptized member of that church uh, in order to participate. And mm -hmm. so even if you're visiting, like, from another church or your family coming into town, like, you can't participate because you're not a part of that church. Mm -hmm. Um and then on the other side of the spectrum, there's open communion, and there's like broad open communion, like really far on the spectrum, yeah. where literally anybody can participate, uh -huh. whether you're a believer, whether you're baptized, um, like if you're checking out church for the first time ever, go ahead, participate. You can take communion. Uh -huh. um, Ignite Church, uh, and, and where I stand on this, on this idea is somewhere in the middle. Uh, we call our position open communion at uh -huh. a night, um, but it's not that broad open. It's not like everybody can participate. Sure. We do still have some some ground rules. And so yeah. um, first, uh, only those who are Christians should take communion. And, and when I say Christian, I mean a person who understands the gospel and has faith in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's only Christians because... Communion is a sign of being a Christian and continuing in Christian fellowship. Yeah. One of the things that we're doing when we're taking communion is declaring our unity with Christ and with the church. If we declare unity with Christ, but we don't have faith in him, we're taking the Lord's name in vain. That's really what, that's yeah. what the, uh, in the Ten Commandments, what it was talking about when it yeah. said, do not, when they said, do not take the Lord's name in vain, um, we're if you're not a Christian and you say you are a Christian, you are taking the name, the Lord's name yeah. in vain, um, and there is judgment for that. Um, and then also, if you're not baptized, uh, you, you still can take communion with us at Ignite Church, um, but you should know that you are doing these things out of order. Okay, sure. Um, so baptism is meant to be a sign of entrance into the faith, while communion is a sign of continuing in the faith. Mm -hmm. or a sign or a symbol, an outward expression. Um, so ideally, baptism comes first. So if, if you're a Christian and want to identify yourself with the church, my recommendation would be for you to be baptized. Yeah, and then do it. And then continue to identify with the church through communion. Yeah. Yes, do it. Do it. <laughs> the best. Um, and then uh, second is self-examination. Uh, so 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven through 29 says this, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner 
will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So the context here is that Paul is rebuking the Corinthian church for being selfish yeah. when they gather together uh, as a church. Okay. So verse 20 through 21 say, uh, When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Uh, so they were a mess, that church. Uh, <laughs> so the problem was that they were selfish, and they were inconsiderate toward each other while at the Lord's table. And so we should examine ourselves in our relationships with other people in the body of Christ, the church. Um, so if there is disunity mm. uh, between you and, and a, a brother or sister in Christ in the church, um, we should be working to restore those relationships before we come to communion. Oh, really? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then that can also be extended to the more personal level. <clears throat> Um, we should also examine ourselves for any blatant, yeah. unrepentant sin in our lives. Um, so that doesn't mean we need to be perfect. Uh, I don't think anyone would be able to take communion if, we, <laughs> if that was the requirement. Right, exactly. Um, what's expected is for us to be repentant. Uh -huh. um, so we need to confess our sins and come to Christ with humility. And so if you take uh, communion, if you're at Ignite Church, you're going to hear us say um, that we're, we have like a time of of uh, silence, Silent where you're supposed to yeah. reflect and ask God to reveal any unrepentant sin in your life, and mm -hmm. confess, and ask for forgiveness. Um, and so, yeah, well, before taking communion as a church, we'll communicate those things so people know whether or not they can take communion. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, man, after this episode, I'm going to be asking forgiveness for a <laughs> lot during that silent time of reflection after kind of hearing a lot more of the breakdown on um, who should be participating, who shouldn't, all those things. Before I became a believer and I still um, attended Ignite Church services, um, I would take communion because I didn't want to be the one guy in the whole auditorium yeah. of 300 people that was just sitting there twiddling my thumbs, you know, and like looking awkward. So when they said, oh, we practice open communion, oh, that was my, my brain kind of like rewrote the definition of that term open communion anyone can take it okay cool right. now i'm good right so now after kind of hearing all this even more in depth i'm like okay every time i take communion i'm saying sorry <laughs> for doing that oh my gosh so um i'm just lucky i good came, thing that i came to christ and have that forgiveness but and yeah. i think it's a good thing that jesus is gracious for sure <laughs> yes yeah, for sure yeah um knowing what a terrible sinner what a big deal that was back in, back then and without even knowing what I was doing, right? But um, so kind of leading into that, you know, moment of silence and reflection and what I, I'm definitely going to be asking for more forgiveness of from now on, what are those kind of main things we should be doing and remembering when we're practicing communion? You know, maybe not necessarily just in that moment of silent reflection in our own lives or, you know, making sure that our relationships with other believers in the body of the church are, you know, above board and all, you know, all good. Um, but what are some of those kind of main key points that we should always kind of keep in mind, um, keep at the forefront of our minds when yeah. we're doing this? Yeah, so when we practice communion, uh, there are kind of three main things we should be doing. We should be looking to the past, the present, and the future. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so we look to the past in 
remembering the death of Jesus. We look to the present in declaring that we're united with Christ and with his church. Mm -hmm. And we look forward to the future with anticipation for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into, yeah. into each of those yeah, three points. For sure. And so, so the first one, uh, we look to the past. Um, so we remember the death of Jesus. We've already talked about this one extensively. Um, we, when we remember the death of Jesus, we're also remembering what Jesus accomplished in his death so that he died in our place that he, he died the death that we deserved. He bore the punishment that was justly ours. For everyone who believes in him, Christ took the wrath of God on our behalf. Peter writes, Jesus himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, by, whose, by his wounds we have been healed. And so we remember these things when we remember his death. Mm -hmm. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians that, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so we proclaim his death, putting on, <clears throat> putting on display by reenacting it in a symbolic meal. Or okay. Putting it on display every single time that we take communion. Yeah. And then the second one, uh, we, look, we should look to the present. Yeah. Uh, so we declare that we are united with Christ and we're united with his church. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17 says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So the question is, how do we know we are one body? We partake of the one bread. Okay. So we take communion together as our sign of being united with Christ and with each other. And so we're really like when we're when we're t when we're eating the bread or the wafer whatever uh -huh. um really we're like we're looking around at us at all around at the church and yeah. s and and really by eating the bread and and drinking the cup we're saying you are my people. Yeah. Right? Like I am united to you in 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 a in a way that I'm not united to the person outside. Uh -huh. Like, like there is some special connection between us. Uh -huh. And then the third one, uh, looking forward, uh, we look forward with anticipation for the marriage supper of the lamb. So Matthew twenty six twenty nine, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Christ's relationship with the church is frequently compared to a marriage relationship. Mm -hmm, yeah. And uh, what we see prophesied in Isaiah 25 um, and by Jesus here in Matthew 26 and by John in the book of, Re of Revelation is a future day when the kingdom of God will be realized in full. There will be no more sorrow. There will be unimaginable joy and what's described is us enjoying a wedding feast with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's going to be beautiful yeah. and the food's going to be amazing. It sure <laughs> is. <laughs> and so uh, when we practice communion at Ignite, we use, a, like I said, we use a little wafer and a little plastic cup of, of grape juice, uh, which 
to be very honest, is a pitiful excuse for a meal. <laughs> Don't show up hungry. Yeah. Um, it's but, about the symbolism. <laughs> yeah. And I, th I think that that's kind of the point. Yeah. Like it should, it should cause anxiousness. Like, like we should be eager uh -huh. because it's not an end in itself. It's yeah. meant to point us forward with eagerness for that marriage supper. We look forward to the future. And with that, we're dropping the mic. I love that. That's a great way to, to end this um, conversation. Um, and I would just want to, I can't thank all of our guests enough. Seriously, man, thank you so much for, for diving deep into communion, which, you know, some people might think is kind of just a, a simple topic. Everyone knows all about communion already. Mm -hmm. Why do we need to deep dive? Well, this is why, because we just learned, at least I just learned a whole ton. Every single episode, I'm learning so much. And I just can't thank you enough for putting in the prep work for this and, and kind of walking us through all uh, these questions that I had for you and just, you know, really doing a deep dive on all this. So thank you, Wyatt. And thank you listeners. Um, hope you guys learned um, as much as I did on this episode. Um, and you took something from it. Um, please remember again to just keep on listening um, every single month as we dig deeper into these topics that go deeper than what we hear on a Sunday morning for the ignite.church answers podcast. I'm your host, Craig Cusick. And Wyatt, at the end of each of the episodes, I like to do what Ignite yes. Church does at the end of every Sunday, and that's to say Ignite's mission statement. Only this time, I'm going to say the first part, and then you're going to join me on the second part. So ready? Yep. Encounter God, impact, impact the world. world.